This is the Responsible Sports Podcast, presented by Liberty Mutual. Episode number 49, Angela Ruggiero. Responsible Sports is a program dedicated to supporting coaches and parents who help our children succeed on and off the field. Each episode, our host, Jim Thompson, Executive Director of Positive Coaching Alliance, will be joined by some of the most influential players and coaches to share their thoughts and experiences with responsible coaching and responsible sports parenting. In this episode, Tina Sire, Chief Impact Officer of Positive Coaching Alliance, steps in for Jim and talks with former USA Hockey Olympic gold medalist and four-time world champion, Angela Ruggiero. The direct application of the life skills that you learn on the field that you can then apply off the field. Um, So, you know, I'm in business school now, for example, and there's so many life lessons that I learned at at the ice rink um, that, you know, whether it's time management or setting goals for yourself, working in as a team, you know, fighting through adversity. I mean, the list goes on and on. And these skills that, you know, our kids learn in sport, uh, you definitely take with you for the rest of your life. Angela discusses what it was like to play professionally and to be the first female skater to play in a North American men's professional hockey game. In addition, she explains the key characteristics necessary to make an excellent responsible sports coach. Angela, I want to start off by introducing you to our responsible sports audience. Angela Ruggiero played her high school ice hockey at Choate Rosemary Hall in Connecticut and played in her first Olympics while still only a senior in high school. She left those Olympic Games in 1998 in Nagano, Japan with a gold medal. She then went on to play college hockey at Harvard, where she was a four-time first-team All-American, a national champion, and winner of the Patty Kazmaier Memorial Trophy, awarded to the best college hockey player. In 2003, the Hockey News named her the best female hockey player in the world. Her talent on the ice was matched by her talent off, where she was named an academic All-American, graduating cum laude with a degree in government. Angela played in three more Olympic Games, medaling in each one. In the 2002 and 2006 Games, she was named top defenseman. In addition to her four Olympic medals, Angela is a four-time world champion. In 2009, she was inducted into the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame. In addition to her time with Team USA, Angela played professionally for the Minnesota Whitecaps, helping them win the Western Women's Hockey League Championship during the 2008-2009 season. She was the first female skater to play in a North American men's professional hockey game. Angela was elected in 2010 to the International Olympic Committee and the U.S. Olympic Committee, and she now serves as president of the Women's Sports Foundation. Angela, thanks for joining the Responsible Sports audience and me today. Absolutely. Really, really good to be here. So, um, so I can't imagine what it must have been like for you being the very youngest player um, on that team when you were 18, um, heading off to the Nagano Olympic Games. Can you tell us a little bit about your memories of that time? Yeah, it was uh, such a special uh, experience for me, um, an unbelievable moment in my life and I think in all, uh, you know, sort of uh, women's hockey players. Um, you know, it was the first time women's hockey was in the Olympics, the first time um, that 
the world sort of saw what our sport was all about. And um, I was able to, you know, as the youngest member um, with sort of 19 older sisters that were helping me, um, you know, do do something that I never thought I could accomplish. And that was, you know, really uh, uh, winning a gold medal and, and being on top of the world. So it was, it was such an amazing moment to see your flag being raised and to sing the national anthem. Um, I, I wish I could relive it over. I get to in my head, fortunately. So you talk about sort of feeling like you had 19 older sisters. I'm, I'm curious, was there anything that they did in particular to really make you feel like you were part of that team? Um, and, and, you know, sort of any lessons that the upperclassmen, um, you know, at a high school might take away from how those older players treated you um, when you were one of the younger players? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, um, you know, when I started playing hockey, I didn't um, – didn't really have any good female role models and when I when I joined the national team I was just 15 years old and having these older uh, players these veterans that sort of opened my eyes to you know how to train they opened my eyes to what was possible and um, really took me under their wing and allowed me to um, succeed uh, you know uh, something that I've definitely remember I mean that sort of sisterhood of being part of a, a team like that um, and I tried to as I got older and became the veteran to make sure that I was doing some of the same things that those players did for me um, and you know we you know they were sort of pioneers at the time and um, I was lucky enough to come come along right at really the perfect moment um, where I was able to you know play on that first team but um, the experience that I learned from those players um, and the, the insights I definitely uh, still carry with me. So if you were talking to, you know, a high school senior who was lucky enough to captain our ice hockey team and it looked like there were a couple, like maybe two talented freshmen who were going to make the varsity, um, what advice would you give that senior captain about how to make those freshmen really feel like they were an important part of that team? Um, I think it's just that, that everyone is important. Um, when you play on a team, you, everyone has various roles. You can't have 20 goal scorers. You can't have 20 playmakers. You can't have people that specialize on the power play. You know, you, you have to have a mixture of all those different elements, um, whether you're first line or fourth line, just understanding the, the impact that you have of, of, of you know, for each team. And, and I think there's a tendency in sport to highlight those players that are successful, um, you know, scoring goals or getting points. Um, but reality, if, if I was a senior talking to a freshman, um, regardless of, of their position on the team, just to make them understand that they, they owe it to the team and the team owes it to them to work as hard as they can because um, in the end, I mean, you, you win or lose with, with each other. So, um, you know, I think it's, it's, it's understanding your role and understanding, like, how you can help the team. And once that's clearly defined, you know, it's really up to that player to, to make the commitment and, and work as hard as they can to, to contribute to that success. That's great. Um, I guess one more question about the the start of your time with the national team when you were only 15 and on that team, um, when you guys were competing or maybe even as an 18 year old, were you getting as much playing time um, as you, you know, you do in your more senior years with the team and, or did you have that experience of maybe being uh, the freshman who didn't get quite as much playing time? You know, I was pretty fortunate. Um, 
just coming from, I played boys hockey growing up. And uh, when I switched over to girls hockey, it was my, my freshman year. Um, and, and I think I, I, my eyes were opened um, to a lot of different things, you know, just playing on a girls team versus a boys team. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, the times in my life when I didn't get a lot of playing time, um, I think it, it, it's a learning opportunity um, because mm-hmm. things don't always go the way that you want in life and um, if, if you if you give up in those those defining moments I think it you know kind of um, you know can reveal your character or it's an opportunity to say okay I think didn't go you know I'm not getting playing time or I got cut or, or we lost a big game and those are the moments that I always look back on okay how did I act how do I respond? How can I respond better the next time that happens? And um, so we all go through those. I mean, I was cut from teams and didn't win games and, you know, didn't get the ice time, and that's just the experience of sport. Sometimes you're the star, sometimes you're not. Um, and uh, and for me it was, you know, how do you respond to those challenges is, is really what I, what I tried to look at. That's great. That's great. So um, I think you said that your freshman year in high school was the first time that you played on an all-girls team. And I think that I wanted to ask you a little bit about your decision process and how you decided to go to Choate. And um, if that was something that your parents, you know, were part of that, how much they figured into the decision and how you guys as a family decided that was the rest, the, the best place for you. Yeah, it was a really hard decision. Um, it actually came fairly quickly. The uh, I, I I played on the first girls team ever formed in California, mm. and we went to um, Connecticut for just a summer exhibition tournament. And the uh, Connecticut Polar Bears, a girls team in in the area, saw me and and asked me, you know, if I would be interested in coming east. Um, Choate was a was a you know great uh, prep school. Yeah, my dad actually grew up in Connecticut, so he knew he knew all about Choate and mm. uh, and its reputation. And, and so it, for, for for us, it was really well, you know, coming from California all the way across Connecticut, leaving my family, it was a really hard decision. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the but then at the same time, it was an easy one because of the educational opportunity I, that I saw, and and really the opportunity in general to to um, to to challenge myself and and although it was really scary I think I, I jumped at it because I recognized you know coming from a family you know regular blue collar family not you know a lot of money growing up my family um, you know that that sort of work hard work ethic if I'm going to go away I want to make the best of this opportunity and uh, and I and I really jumped at it so it Cho definitely changed my life I, I love that school and uh, and really grew a lot the the four years that I spent there. So you talk about just how, um, what an educational opportunity that was, and I'm curious how you were able to sort of manage doing so well in the classroom um, and then also playing at such an elite level, like being on the national team from age 15, and how you were able to, to balance that and manage your time. Yeah, it's, um, it, it is uh, something that I think all student-athletes have to juggle, whether in high school or, or the collegiate level. Um, and you know, to me, it's just time management skills is what you're learning. You're learning when you're, you know, my coach, I remember Katie Stone at Harvard used to say, when you're at the rink, you're at the rink. When you're in the classroom, you're in the classroom. And um, and I think I started recognizing that when I was in high school. Like, you're, you know, when I'm playing hockey, i got to be 100% focused on this in order to, to continue to improve, um, in order to try to reach my goals in the athletic world, um, in order to, you know, at the time, play for a gold medal. Um, that was my dream was to make an Olympic team. And then I had this other dream of like, you know, 
going to Harvard and getting a great education there. Um, so I knew when I was in the classroom, I had to be fully immersed there, not thinking about, you know, what I did wrong or, or right on the ice the previous weekend in a game, um, and, and making sure that I carved out time in my schedule to get my, my studies, my, my homework done. So it was really, I think, just time management um, coupled with um, intense um, amount of focus of whatever, whatever you're doing. Yeah, that's great. Um, so, so I wanted to fast forward in time to the 2006 Olympics. And I know that there were some comments you made about the Canadian team um, running up the score against some sort of lesser opponents. And I'm curious, you know, inside responsible sports, we talk a lot about what it means to honor the game and how to treat, um, you know, an, an opponent that's maybe not as strong. And I'm curious if you could just tell us a little bit about those comments in that situation. And then, um, I guess, sort of a two-part question, tell us about that time and also what advice you would give um, responsible sports coaches when they are playing a team that's maybe not as talented um, on the ice. Um, yeah, so it was the 2006 Olympics. Um, Italy was the host country, and they, uh, when you host the Olympics, you, know, you have the option to, uh, um, you know, have your own team. You, of course, have to qualify for that. But um, I think I made a comment to Sports Illustrated about Canada running up the score against Italy. I didn't, I didn't see it as very good sportsmanship. And mm-hmm. um, the reason I say that is, you know, there's a point at which uh, the score does make a difference. Um, you know, people can argue otherwise, but my opinion, you're, you know, you get to a point, I think, at, to me, hockey, if you hit double digits, if it's 10 nothing, you don't need any more goals here. Mm-hmm. You're, you're clearly not in danger of, of the other team coming back. Um, and so I made a comment that I didn't, I didn't think that was right. But I think the score ended up being like 17 something, nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, the principle of it is, um, you know, you can continue to train hard and challenge yourself and uh, make, you know, you know, the coach can say you need to make three passes before you take a shot on net, for example. So you can't go end-to-end and mm-hmm. go through everyone and put a puck in the net unassisted. Yep. I mean, to yep. me, that just doesn't make sense. Um, so you can continue to do many challenges on the ice in a way that isn't insulting to the opponent and continues to challenge you as a team um, and, and, and maybe engages your team a little more if you're playing opponent that just isn't at your, your skill level. So, um, yeah, I guess I'm, I just uh, wouldn't want to be on the other end of that. I remember being eight years old and losing 20 to nothing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it just doesn't do any good for, for, uh, uh, for, for anyone on the ice. Yeah, I really like that advice of sort of the mini challenges so your team can still have some challenges, even if they're going to come out ahead on the scoreboard by a lot. I think that's wonderful advice. Um, so, so you were sort of alluding to the fact that you really feel like um, balancing your hockey and your academics taught you some incredible sort of time management skills and then also to really be 100% present in the moment. And um, maybe this is sort of a funny segue, but I know that in 2007, um, you appeared as a candidate on The Apprentice. And I'm curious if there were certain lessons from hockey that you feel like actually made you successful in that setting. Um, I know Donald Trump um, ended up offering you a job, um, even though you were eliminated sort of along the way. But are, are there certain lessons from sports that you feel like really can apply in a business setting and, and outside of sports? 
Yeah, um, absolutely. It was a crazy experience, first of all. <laughs> I loved it, um, but interesting being on a reality show. You know, there's so many benefits to playing sport, one of which is um, the direct application of the life skills that you learn on the field that you can then apply off the field. Um, so, you know, I'm in business school now, for example, and there's so many life lessons that I learned at, at the ice rink um, that, you know, whether it's time management or setting goals for yourself, working in as a team, you know, fighting through adversity. I mean, the list goes on and on. And these skills that, you know, our kids learn in sport, uh, you definitely take with you for the rest of your life. And you don't really realize it. Um, you might not say, Oh, I played, you know, people joke, I you know, recently retired from the national team and, okay, what are you going to do with your slap shot? You can't really use that in the real world anymore. And I'm like, well, I can't use my slap shot, but I can use all the other things that I learned as an athlete um, and now just apply them to a completely new setting. Um, and that's, you know, whether that's academics or business or your, your job or your family, I mean, any, any of these other situations, to me, it's, it's kind of like the same formula. Um, so, yeah, juggling academics and athletics, I think you, you learn a lot and you can apply a lot from hockey to, to anything. That's great. So, um, so I think you're one of the youngest people that I've ever spoken with that's actually written um, their own memoir. Um, so, so you wrote, um, yeah, um, Breaking the Ice, uh, My Journey to Olympic Hockey, the Ivy League, and Beyond, which was published back in 2005. And I was wondering if you could just tell um, our Responsible Sports listeners a little bit about why you felt it was important to put some of your stories in writing. Yeah, so my senior year at Harvard, I wanted to do something for young female athletes in general. Um, I contemplated, uh, you know, writing sort of a, a guide to, you know, succeeding in sport, um, a guide to getting into college. You know, I was, mm-hmm. I was shooting out a, different, a few different ideas um, with my publisher, and, and they ended up asking me, they said, what about writing your own story? And I thought, well, you know, I feel at times, you know, we learn the most when we can see ourselves and others. Mm-hmm. Uh, we when we can relate to the person that is is giving the story. When there's like tangible examples of how to do something, and um, you know, and and if I could contribute to some young girl being more successful um, in in sport or in academics or in life, then then my story I thought was the best vehicle to do it. So I thought about it. And ended up doing that. I was 25, um, young enough still that I think I could relate to the audience that I was targeting. Um, and it's been amazing, really, since writing it because I've I've gotten so many young girls that have come up to me and said, oh, "I read your book. I got an A in my report. Uh, you know, my book report." Or, um, "Wow, I want to go to Tilt like you or Harvard like you or you know." And they 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 have they suddenly have a visible role model that they can aspire to be. And that's what I didn't have growing up. I, you know, I always wanted to play for the LA Kings. I always wanted to be in the NHL. And I, you know, lucky I got to play a little pro, so I got to reach my dream a little bit in that respect. But, you know, I didn't see women talk in the Olympics at the time. I, I was in California. I didn't even know women talk was in the NCAA. Um, my goals were different. So by writing the book, it was more, let's put out more great young, um, let's, I, I, I found an opportunity to, be visible for those young girls out there that are trying to do something and letting them know that they can do it. 
That's great. We definitely need more female role models. I'm curious if that book included any of the the story of you um, being denied access to that rink in Michigan um, because you were a woman, or if that came later, and if you could tell our audience a little bit about that situation and how that resolved. Yeah, so um, I was uh, 18 years old, actually. I had just gotten back from the Olympics in Nagano. You know, I'd hung up the skates for a month or two, taken a little break off, and... um, you know, I went back to Chode. I finished out my senior year there, came home that summer and wanted to get back on the ice. And I contacted, I went to a local rink um, in Michigan, in Mount Clemens, or sorry, not Mount Clemens. Um, and and I, was, I was home, I don't know, maybe two weeks, found out about this, uh, this pickup skate. It was just a general adult pickup skate, pay five bucks, uh, city-owned arena. I thought, all right, I need to get back on the ice. I'll just drop in hockey get my side box, get my legs going again, and then get ready to start training for, for, uh, for the next season. And when I got there, they said, you can't play hockey. You're, you're a girl or you're a woman. And I said, you're joking. <laughs> and they said, no, you can't. And they pointed to a rule that in black and white in the rule book that said, shift hockey is for men only. I'll never forget that. And I, my jaw dropped. And I thought, you, you, this can't be possible. So I went on to explain, well, you know, I just got back from the Olympics. Um, I think I can ha- hold my own out there. Um, and then to me, it was, it was, it became more than that. It became more than just me because why mm-hmm. should it be fair that I get to compete if simply because I can, mm-hmm. uh, more about like the principle of like anyone should be able to pull it, play hockey. I mean, it's a great sport. Um, anyone should have access to sport in general. And um, so I went, I contacted one of my friends who worked for Fox uh, Undercover News and investigative reporters, and we went back into the rink with an undercover camera and got them saying it. And they, they eventually uh, pulled the rule off the books and obviously welcomed me back, and I think I had eight or nine goals in the next game. And didn't go back, but, but the principle had changed, and they changed the rule. And to me, it was really powerful. I'm like, wow, you can actually make a difference. You just have to stand up for your rights, especially when they're, they're being taken away in, in, some, in, a, in a manner like that. It was a really, really interesting experience. Um, i um, glad that they changed the rule, but um, I, I couldn't believe in that day and age that it still existed. Yeah, well, it's a wonderful story, and I'm really glad you, you stood up and, and made a change. Um, so it's interesting, too, just to think about the experience you had with your brother, where I believe you guys were the sort of first-ever brother-sister tandem to play in a professional hockey game um, back in 2005. And if the the Central Hockey League, Tulsa Oilers, will let you play, I'm surprised the local rink uh, didn't want you to play. But I'm curious if you could just tell me a little bit about the experience of playing with your brother and um, even just in a bigger level sort of sharing the sport that you love uh, with your brother. Yeah, um one of my favorite all-time hockey moments. Um, Bill and I, you know, grew up playing hockey together, of course, in California. He's a goalie. I'm a defenseman. I, uh, you know, tap him on the pads at the end of each game. And we spent countless hours in the car together. Um, you know, really became best friends growing up because um, we spent all of our free time in the car going to hockey practice and games. So my brother's playing professional hockey for, uh, for, for Tulsa, um, I just graduated from Harvard. I was, uh, he, he called me one day, sort of jokingly saying, oh, Angie, you, know, you, could, you, could, you could totally play with our team, and, and, and said, why don't you come out over Christmas? You can just skate around with us. Um, you know, it'd be fun. So he, he had a game on Christmas Day, 
and so he couldn't come home. So I said, I'll come out there. I'll spend Christmas with you. I brought my gear. I skated with the team. And they ended up asking me to play in a real game. Um, so, of course, I, I said, you know, jumped at that opportunity. And um, it was tough because it went from me playing with my brother to can women play men's hockey. Right. <laughs> and, you know, ESPN show up and the Today Show and all the media there um, watching. And, and so suddenly I was I was – uh, you know, representing the female gender as opposed to just playing with my brother. But again, you know, a great opportunity. Um, and and to me, in the back of my head, I thought it's no different. Uh, hockey is hockey. The blue line didn't move. The dimensions of the rink are the same. The rules are exactly identical. It's playing with guys again. Oh, I did that growing up. Um, so uh, I ended up finishing the game. Um, you know, had 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 a point. I went back. I skated back, patted my brother on the pads, and got a hug from him. And I'm like, wow, this is awesome. I'm, uh, you know, we're adults now, and and yet I have I get to have this amazing experience with him. That's awesome, and and awesome that you came away with an assist. Um, a, a really beautiful story. Um, so even before that, I think it was that you you founded your um, your girls hockey school. And I'm curious, like, if um, if you're close enough to that where you're actually the one who's sort of deciding who you're going to let coach at your school, and if you could tell us a little bit about um, what kind of person and what kind of coach um, you're looking for there. You know, with, inside Responsible Sports, um, we always talk about looking for responsible coaches who both know the sport inside and out and can really coach the sport, but also coach to teach those life lessons. So they sort of have two goals there. Um, and is that something that you mirror or, you know, what are those characteristics you would look and someone to to work at your hockey school yeah um great question i i you know i started that in 2003 um and i definitely select the coaches they're uh, primarily my teammates <laughs> so it makes it easier to really know them um well and you know know sort of what their work ethic is like and uh, and how they're going to interact with the kids um but definitely i'm always looking you know i i tend to want to you know, bring bring up some young coaches. I think that's important to show them the ropes, and at the same time, hire some some uh, coaches that have been doing it for years. Uh, more you know, veteran coaches kind of have that blend. Um, yeah, I'm always looking for someone that's uh, willing to take a chance, work hard. Um, uh, you know, obviously he's on time. All the all those sort of prerequisites. Um, and someone that really cares about the kids. Um, that is going to use sport as a vehicle to teach them other things about life. Um, because yeah. most young kids, unfortunately, aren't going to be able to have all their dreams come true. I mean, it's like a sad reality, but, um, but some of them will. And some of them will use the, the, the lessons that they learn in sport and apply them to other areas of their life. And that's what I'm really looking for. Like, which coaches can, like, pull a kid aside and, and talk to them if they're if they're late. Say, well, why is this wrong? Or talk to them about like having a goal for themselves. I mean, we always do this exercise where I, I ask the girls to go home and their homework that night is to break down their goal. I want a short term and a long term goal, and mm. and then we talk about it. And it's cool. Like maybe they've never thought about it that that, and they've done it for the first time. And, and so use the camp for. Obviously, we teach them how to cross over and take a wrist shot and all the basic things as a hockey player. But um, more importantly, all these other things that um, my coaches greatly contribute to. And, and the conversation is natural. They're, again, they're, they're uh, 
mostly college players and national team players talking to these 7, 10, 12-year-olds that look up to them. So they listen. It's a captive audience. So it's actually a, um, I, I love being a part of it. When you talk about them, about the goal setting you do with them, like short term and long term, is that goals that are specific to their hockey or might that be goals outside of hockey? Both. Um, It's up to the individual. So what I like to do is show them what it means to set a goal and then let them decide what goals they want. Because you can't, you know, self-impose what you think they should accomplish. I mean, I think if a coach does that, um, you're setting them up for, for disappointment or failure. Um, you, they really have to look internally because it's, it's going to have to come from the inside. So yeah, it could be, it could be an on ice, you know, I want to learn how to take a wrist shot or it could be, I want to try to get, um, my first A in math this semester. Um, you know, we try to, t- we talk about a number of different, um, goals so that they get the general idea of what a goal is and how to, how to get there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I, you, I've gotten to my last question here, which is, um, I know you've just taken over as president of the Women's Sports Foundation, which I believe is a two-year term. Um, and first of all, just congratulations on that position. I know it's just an incredible group of women who have sat in that seat um, before you. So what a compliment to be there. And I, I was curious, sort of, what are your goals, um, you know, for those two years? And are there, are there certain things you hope to achieve um, while you're in that role of president of the Women's Sports Foundation? Yeah, thank you. It's um, it's a huge honor. I, I was exposed to the foundation when I was uh, 18 years old when we actually um, won the Sports Team of the Year award. And um, and so I've been on the board for about three years now and recently took over. And um, I think the foundation represents, like, opportunity. For a really long time, we tried to make sure that every girl, every woman had the opportunity to play. And that was... Um, I think a, a focus, whether through, you know, Title IX, um, you know, the big vehicle that people look at, yeah. um, but really at every other level. Um, so definitely continue in that tradition to make sure if there are opportunities that, um, you know, more opportunities we can provide. Um, but I think that the next evolution is really taking it one step further and how, you know, using the Women's Sports Foundation as a platform, talk about like what sport is and its impact on society and how that that is important that's the most important piece of it you know these these young girls that that play sports will you know i think 85 percent of of female business leaders have played sports at some time in their life i mean there's mm-hmm. these statistics out there if you look at them um you can you can really recognize the importance of it so to continue that and the legacy of you know billie jean king and all these great leaders um that helped found the organization and and have made it successful. I just hope to uh, hope to contribute. <laughs> yeah, well, that's wonderful. We'll certainly be following you. And Angela, I just wanted to thank you so much for taking uh, the time with me today to share all this um, with the Responsible Sports listeners. And I'm sure that all of your insights um, will help a number of coaches and parents and student athletes. And just uh, wish you the best of luck. I mean, you've had such an incredible, um, you know, first uh, three decades here, and we'll be we'll be watching to see what comes from you in the upcoming years. Yeah, thanks for having me, and um, and shout out to you guys. I mean, for anyone's listening, obviously they they care deeply about the kids that they're that they're impacting, and and by even by listening, it just shows that you know they care and they want to they want to give back. So um, great that you guys have this program, and happy to be a part of it. To learn more about responsible sports, including downloading valuable tools on a mastery approach to youth sports. 
that includes creating a commitment to learning, visit ResponsibleSports.com. You'll find helpful Responsible Sport parenting and responsible coaching guides, downloadable tools and worksheets, and advice from leading youth sports experts. Music for this podcast has been generously provided by APM Music.